listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today is a story time episode, which means I get to tell you a really fun story and hopefully you learn something and hopefully you want to research more because there is no way that I'm going to get all of these details <laughs> in the next hour and a half of this episode. Oh. So hour and a half. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It shouldn't be an hour and a half. I hope. Uh, <laughs> we are celebrating our uh, one year anniversary of this podcast during the month of September. And that means for this story time episode, I wanted to go way back to the beginning of LCMSism and uh, bring the story of one of the original, I guess, LCMS women, uh, a woman and her family who had a huge huge uh, significant part of LCMS history and that is the wife of CFW Walther. Now if you're like me, you know about CFW Walther, you never really thought about the fact that oh yeah, he probably had a wife. Well, he did and her family is really influential at the beginning of LCMS history. So buckle in ladies, I have a lot of notes. There is a lutheranmuseum.com blog that you can go read all about early Lutheran history. And there is a book by Warren Schmidt available from Amazon titled Mama Bunger, Mother of a Synod. And so that is actually about CFW Walther's mother-in-law. And you'll, you'll find out later, but she really was pretty much the mother of the synod. It's crazy. So those two resources, uh, shout out to Warren Schmidt also for helping me with all of this research because he was essentially my one source for this. <laughs> He knows everything there is to know wow. about this family. So really cool stuff. What so a today, bear. <laughs> I know, right? There's also a really awesome, if you're in St. Louis, there's a really awesome museum in Altenburg, the Lutheran, His, Lutheran Heritage Center and Museum at the Perry County Lutheran Historical Society in Altenburg. So if you're in the St. Louis area, I highly recommend you go what? check that out. Take a tour. Podcast sponsored field trips. I know, right? We should. That would be really fun. You should totally go check that out. Tons of history. If you're a history nerd and a Lutheran, you should just go there. Otherwise, check out the blog. Lots of stuff to learn. So today is the story of Emily Bunger Walther, who is the wife of CFW Walther. And I didn't really know anything about her before I researched this podcast. So this was really interesting. She was born on July 21st, 1812 in Saxony, Germany. Her father was a pastor, Reverend Jacob Friedrich Bunger, and her father's father was also a pastor. So she lived in a long line of Lutheranism. And her mother, Christian, Christ, Christ, I'm going to say Christian, was a very interesting person Highly recommend that you dig into her story more in uh, Warren Schmidt's book because I won't be able to touch on all of the stuff that all of the things that she influenced as well. Emily was one of at least nine children. I'm not totally sure if they only had nine. Pretty sure they only had nine. Born to Jacob and Christian, uh, a few of their children died very, very young. And fun fact, her brother Theodore shares her birthday nine years later in 1821. How often does that happen? I don't know. That's pretty cool. Timing. So her dad, the Reverend Jacob Friedrich, died in December of 1836, which was oh, about two years before the family would immigrate to America. Jacob's father, Emily's grandfather, 
died the same week. So they lost two men in their family in the same week. So this was a time of a whole lot of grief. And it was probably this time of grief, plus some other things like the family needing to move out of the parsonage because not a pastor anymore. Right. That happened to my great-grandmother and was really hard on her yeah because there was no provision made for the widows of pastors wow right you can stay until the next pastor comes and then you gotta go because it's mm. there's Yikes. no pastor in your family anymore so all of that stuff uh that happened all at that time probably motivated christian to move all of her children to an entirely new land across the ocean because why not interrupt right here i just looked up the spelling of her name it was probably pronounced christiana because she's german and the e is sounded so ah okay well now i'll say christiana yeah that's just (laughs) just a guess beautiful name we should we should have lots of little christianas running around anyway sorry to interrupt i agree no that's fine Her youngest child, so Emily's youngest sister, Emma, actually stayed in Germany, though, and she was not very old, probably younger than 10. She was a sickly child and wasn't healthy enough to make the journey. So Christiana actually left one of her children in Germany in order to make this trip, which is a little mind boggling. Whoa. That you'd move across an ocean and leave your youngest child behind. Do we know how she ended it? Like, did she, was she okay? Do we know? I don't know, and that wasn't in uh, the research that I had. There's not a whole lot of information about her out there, apparently. <laughs> if you really want to research the family, there you may be able to find something. But uh, information about – it's hard to find a lot of historical data about some of these people. So, Which is also why some of the things in this episode are kind of – broad in general because <laughs> there's just <laughs> only there's only so much information you can find about people from the late 1800s <laughs> most of it's from church records which is what you mean there isn't an exhaustive history of women <laughs> in the early lcms what? No. <laughs> before the lcms even existed no <laughs> so christiana had just lost her husband she had just lost her father-in-law And less than two years later, leaves her youngest child to take eight of her children to a new land via ships, because at this time, everything was ocean-going voyages uh, that weren't guaranteed making it across the ocean because ships were lost. You know, it wasn't out of the question that a ship just wouldn't make it to its destination. So she was a pretty awesome woman for all of that stuff. So the Bunger family... The Bunger family was part of the Gesellschaft mass immigration of about 700 German Lutheran immigrants to the United States in 1838. Their group was led by Reverend Martin Steffen, who has his own interesting story, which I will get to a bit of it in a minute. Uh, and if you're interested in Lutheran history, I highly recommend you actually dig into all of that history surrounding all of the, the uh, Lutheran immigration to the United States. It wasn't just this one group that landed in Perry County and, and then St. Louis There were several other groups that landed and emigrated to different areas around the United States, and all of them have their own unique stories. So if this is interesting to you, highly recommend you check out all of our Lutheran historical stuff, because there are so many more stories other than just this one. So the group that they were in, they had five ships that crossed the ocean from Europe to America, one of which was actually lost at sea. So their whole group didn't actually make it. Wow. 
The ships arrived in New Orleans, and then they took steamboats up the Mississippi to St. Louis to purchase 4,500 acres and settle in Perry County, which, if you're not familiar with St. Louis geography, that is about 100 miles south of St. Louis along the Mississippi River. Beautiful it's land. Kind of in the middle of nowhere, though. Mm-hmm. It is in the middle of nowhere. Which was it kind is beautiful. of, got a kind deal. of intentional, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> they wanted to sort of remove themselves and go be Lutheran. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they did also pastor churches in St. Louis. Right. And St. Louis was a very young, sit- young city that was also booming at the time, too. Erin, don't you go to one of those uh, early, one of the oldest LCMS churches? Mm, no. There's definitely older ones in St. Louis. Trinity Soulard would be the... The, the original. The original. But yes. Messiah, yeah, it's we definitely are more than 100 years old. So yeah. we're back there. But we're not like 150... Plus, like some of them. <laughs> yeah, right. So these Germans left Germany because they weren't in favor of how their churches were being operated. Church politics, anyone? <laughs> they were becoming more and more liberal in their theology and were under the authority of the civil government as a state church, which they did not like. And they wanted to keep their doctrine pure and hoped they could do that in America where church and state are separated, which we pride ourselves on and have political fights about. Anyway, five of Emily's siblings, four of whom were teenagers, these were not old people, these were young people, mm-hmm. sailed on the Oldbers. Emily traveled by herself, by herself away from her family. There were other people, but <laughs> she, she was her only sibling on the Copernicus, and her mother and her two other siblings traveled on the Bark Constitution. And her mother and her two siblings actually had to travel later because of some controversy about orphans that her mother was had guardianship over and the orphans weren't allowed to travel. So they had to stay behind and make sure the orphans got settled before her mom and two other siblings could travel over. And that's why they came later. And this is Mama Boonger. Yes. Okay. Just making sure... Of yep. the characters here. Okay, yes. keep going. There's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and they all, yeah, have, all have the same last names. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily was 26 at the time. Uh, she traveled by herself to an unknown land. Wait, she was 26 and she had nine children already? No, no, no. Emily was 26. Mama Bunger was not 26. She was much older. Oh, okay. How many children did Emily bring with her? None. They were all single. She was a she was what they politely called a spinster at the time. Yeah. Yes. So there was okay. Mama Bunger, Christiana, and she brought eight of her children over. Oh, okay. But they I, traveled in three different now ships. Now I'm with you. I I lost Sorry. the thread there for a moment, but now I'm back on track. Okay. There are a lot of people oh, yeah. and a lot there of are. names. Okay. So Emily Sorry. is 26. Yes, she Emily is, is 26. Heading to the new world. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Emily was the first on the first ship to arrive in America, and then she traveled by the steamboat Rienzi and landed in St. Louis on January 19th, 1839. So she was in St. Louis for about a month before her family came to join her. The Constitution actually landed in New York Ooh. on February 19th, 1939, not New Orleans, like the rest of the family. Christian and Christiana and her two children joined the New York group and traveled by steamboat to Perry County. Now, if you think of a map of the United States and where New York City is 
and where St. Louis is and how many waterways you have to travel through and around to get to St. Louis, that is a pretty impressive journey. Yeah, how? So, I guess is like how? A lot of time on it's possible. There's a lot of canals. I'm sure. There were a lot of canals back then. It's a long journey on a boat. Interesting, <laughs> guys. Let's think. Let's wow. think about it. <laughs> long way. So this trip meant a lot to these people to spend that much time in a boat to come to a totally different land to start a new church. Pretty crazy and awesome, actually. So another steamboat, Selma, arrived in St. Louis also on February 19th, 1939, with her other five siblings and the Reverend Martin Steffen. Now, Martin Steffen, who has his <laughs> own story that I will not get totally into, <laughs> but it does affect the rest of this story. So uh, he had been declared bishop while on board the steamboat Selma on the way to St. Louis, and the immigrants did not appreciate that. They became more and more unhappy with that situation and also how their money was being used to keep Pastor Steffen and the other pastors comfortable. And I'm sure they didn't have a ton of money with them either. And then there were stories of impropriety between Pastor Stephen and the women. So long story short, uh, CFW Walther, who was in St. Louis at the time, was sent to Perry County to deal with this situation in May of 1839. And Pastor Stephen was banished across the river to Illinois. <laughs> oh. I love how they're like, your punishment is to live in Illinois. I know. <laughs> I, I try not to find too much humor in that, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> Give him a rowboat and tell him don't come back. Yeah. But you know what? It is really wide. Yes, we, it is. I'm just really thankful because, you know, reading about Martin Stefan and how he pretty much wanted to control all the money and have all the ladies. We came really close to being one of those creepy cults. Yes, mm -hmm. we did. Yes, we did. And, uh, you know, the fact that, that Pastor Walther and the other folks stepped up and said, nope, don't think so. Go have a, have a nice life in Illinois. I feel really, really grateful that you know, someone stepped up and said, this is not what we want for our church. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> our history could have been very different. I know. I just suddenly <laughs> had a flash of like an alternative history novel. What if? <laughs> what would have happened if? Oh. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> So the entire Bunger family was finally re reunited in Perry County, also in May 18 1839, just days before Stefan was sent to Illinois. So a whole lot happening in that month. Uh, all of these siblings were single when they came over and when they arrived in America, and they all found their spouses amongst the German immigrants. A little hint to what is to come for the Bunger family. There are family. so many like, <laughs> major motion picture like film, cinematic masterpiece opportunities right in the last 10 minutes <laughs> like my head right now is just like Brrr! like i have like three movie ideas like i'm just making a list yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty great story so christiana emily's mother was granted an 11 acre parcel of land in perry county where the log cabin college was built and that building is the original theological education site for our synod. And I'm pretty sure that Concordia Seminary St. Louis traces their roots back to the Log Cabin College. 
which is pretty cool. There's another thing that always makes me smile about this story is that like they pull up in Perry County. They're like, what are we going to do first? Clear some food fields and grow some food? No, let's nope. start a seminary. And yep. That- <laughs> How Lutheran of them. Typically Lutheran. <laughs> first things first, people. Classic Lutheran. Is the log cabin that's on the seminary campus, did they relocate it? Is that the original? Yes, ma'am. I thought so. So so you can see it on the campus in St. Louis. It's not yeah. very pretty. I'll say that. It's. I mean, it's a log cabin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's functional. Okay. We've come a long way but in seminary no. architecture. There's a lot of story That's there. True. More story than I realized. Okay. Keep so going. much story here. It's, <laughs> this is why I have so many notes. <laughs> So Christiana didn't stay in Perry County for very long, though, and she bought a house in St. Louis in the early 1840s and uh, lived there with one of her daughters and her husband, who was Emily's. uh, So Emily's sister, Agnes, married CFW Walther's brother, Otto Herman. So these families are now connected on November 15th, 1839, not long after they arrived in Perry County. And so um, Agnes and Otto lived in St. Louis because Otto Herman was the pastor of Old Trinity Lutheran Church in St. Louis, which is now Trinity Soulard. And so Agnes ended up moving up into uh, and, and living with Agnes and Otto. CFW Walther actually performed the wedding ceremony for them, of course, and it happened at the log cabin in Perry County because everything happens on the grounds of the log cabin. They this had... is like Jane Austen level. Once your brother and his sister get married or whatever, it's like you can, you know, it's just uh-huh. a matter of time. Uh-huh. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, so they had one son, Johann Gottlieb, or Gottlob. On which means God's love. I love that name. Mm. On October 1st, 1840. So there's also a lot of sad bits in the story. I apologize. There's some really tragic stuff. Uh, Otto Not Herman. I, I know. It's still sad, though. Otto Herman passed away on January 21st, 1841. So not long after their son was born, uh, leaving Agnes a young widow and mother. CFW received the call to be the pastor to Trinity in St. Louis on February 8th, 1841, taking the place of his brother. Agnes did remarry another pastor in 1842, which from I know from my own family history, the same thing happened in my family history way back on my mom's side of the woman marrying the pastor of a church and that pastor dies. And so she ends up marrying the next pastor of the church. Agnes did remarry another pastor and they moved throughout the Midwest to serve different churches through Michigan and I think Wisconsin, maybe Ohio. She died in 1895, fast forwarding a whole bunch of years, but I had to tell you this because she's buried in the St. Lawrence Cemetery in Frankenmuth, Michigan. So all you Michigan listeners go to the cemetery. You knew you had to bring in Michigan somewhere (laughs) to this story that's like utterly Missouri, but wait, here's Michigan. Someone's buried in Michigan. (laughs) So if you're in Michigan, in Frankenmuth, which is is hot spot, another hot spot of (laughs) long history of Lutherans go visit St. Lawrence and go visit their cemetery and find her grave. That'd be kind of fun. So a significant event in LCMS history, the Altenburg debate happened in 1841 in Altenburg. This is just a little bit of side history for you because it's kind of important to our history. The debate revolved around the scandal of Martin Steffen banishing him to Illinois and subsequently not having any 
church leadership, essentially. A group of immigrants led by lawyer Adolf Marbach said that they were sinning in their actions and they were putting uh, and by putting their faith in a false leader and accused the German pastors of abandoning their calls in Germany and therefore not being legitimate pastors. And this group wanted to go back to Germany. Really not great stuff that this guy was uh, coming to conclusions of. Walther's brother-in-law, Pastor Gerhard Keil, studied Luther's writings at this point and how they were actually a legitimate church because where two or three are gathered and all of this, these other things that Walther eventually, or Walther debated Marbach in April for several days and convinced him and the immigrants that they were indeed a legitimate church and they should stay. And so they did. Also a interesting part of history if you want to read more about that and early church politics. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Absolutely not. As the case was then and still the case now with young unmarried men, CFW was getting a lot of advice, maybe not so wanted advice, that he would be better off married. I feel like we just talked about this (laughs) on the Seminary Wives podcast. (laughs) So he had apparently been thinking the same thing especially considering his brother was married. And he had someone in mind to ask to be his wife. And remember, these German immigrants did know each other fairly well. They spent a lot of time together. They spent how many countless days and months on boats together. So they probably knew each other pretty well at this point. And his being on a boat for a long, long time. You get to know people for better or worse, literally. He had already, he was already really close with the Bunger family, obviously, because his brother married one of Christiana's daughters. He wanted to marry Emily, but she was still in Dresden near Altenburg, not Dresden, Germany, like I thought originally when I was reading the story. And I was very confused. <laughs> Dresden near Altenburg in Missouri. And he was already settled in St. Louis as a pastor. So because of these circumstances, and this is probably the best part of this entire episode not gonna lie on august 10th 1841 walther sent a letter to emily to ask for her hand in marriage now this letter is really long so i'm not gonna put it all in this episode you should totally go find it though and read it and your heart will melt (laughs) it is another jane austen moment it really is and i don't know if it's just me uh, we kind of get the idea that walther was a pretty stiff person and didn't have a lot of emotion maybe it's just because was he Mr. Collins <laughs> <laughs> from Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Wait, but was he? Maybe not. Maybe we're going to find out. That was his okay. appearance, but in his writing, maybe not. Uh, he loved his family very deeply. And you can read this love for his family and all of his letters between him and his wife later on. And his letters with his son. And we might think it's a little strange to propose via letter. Like, no one does that. If you write it like a, a really long email to someone to propose to them, that would just be weird. Back in the day, you know, it was hard to travel 100 miles. And rural Missouri down there is really hilly and not that easy to get through unless you have a car, which they wouldn't have had, obviously. So writing a letter, probably not that weird. I can totally uh, imagine someone proposing via Zoom. Uh, these oh, yeah. How many times do you think that's happened this year? Probably a lot. <laughs> a few, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so his letter, you can find the full text in Warren Schmidt's book, is pretty fantastic. I have a few snippets just to give you a taste of 
how really like drippy emotional this is, which it made me cringe a little bit because <laughs> it's just that good. <laughs> from like stock music, like flowery music to play behind you as you're <laughs> you need it. Okay, so. He says uh, near near the beginning, he says, I at least indicated from afar because he hadn't written much uh, before this time to her. They just kind of knew each other. I at least indicated from afar a precious sublime wish of my heart, which no one in the world but you can fulfill. And then he proposes, therefore, I cannot wait any longer to express this my wish, frankly, also to you. It is this. Will you, dearest Emily, become my life's companion? Can you return at least in some degree the love which, as I now confidently hope, God has enkindled in my heart for you? Do you believe that you can live with me happily, contentedly, and God-pleasingly in a union as intimate and inseparable until death as a holy estate of matrimony is? <sighs> Romantic. <Aww>. <laughs> He goes on to say that he prays God will direct her heart to say yes to his proposal. And then he says, because communication between St. Louis and Perry County is slow, and he already apparently got permission from both his parents and her parents to ask for her hand in marriage. And they already gave their consent. And he can't travel to Perry County before this wedding is going to happen. <laughs> he proposes dates of the bands, too. Like, we're going to get this done. <laughs> And then he goes on to say, I am almost surprised at myself for daring in this first letter to speak so freely of betrothal, of publishing the bands of marriage, etc. How much more will you perhaps be astonished? May you, however, recognize this as nothing else than my wholehearted confidence in you, that you will, even if you could not give me your hand, certainly grant me the privilege of having at least vividly imagined myself out of pure grace without any merit or worthiness very Lutheran words, in the position of seeing you as my God-given, dearly beloved bride. May he give you a joyous decision and then make your heart firm, sure, and certain that you rest in his grace and under his holy benevolence. And if God brings us together, we will mutually serve him day and night without ceasing, faithfully until death, by the power of his omnipotent grace in Christ Jesus, you and my Savior. Amen. And wow. that is his letter. How do you say no to that? I know. Right? Okay, I'm going to walk back what I said earlier. If Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice had sent Elizabeth Bennett that letter rather than the proposal <laughs> he did make, she might never have been tempted by Mr. Darcy. Uh -huh. Just going to uh -huh. say. Good on you, Walther. That was really sweet. It was beautifully done. Wow. Whew. Needless to say. Emily would have been pretty shocked by that letter. <laughs> Probably not expecting that from Walter. After First talking, she ever got a letter from him and boom, <laughs> right there. Marry me. <laughs> After talking with her family and close friends, including pastor friends, because there's pastors everywhere in Perry County now, she wrote him back to profess her love for him and say yes to his proposal of marriage. I'm pretty sure her letter back is longer than his letter to her, too. It's incredible the, the, the writing that people did in the late 1800s. We don't, nothing that we do level, levels up to that. Anyway, she says, Yes, I love you, my beloved betrothed, with all my heart, and on all the earth there is now nothing more dear to me than you, out of pure grace, without any merit on my part. So Lutheran. Also here, I will see how God's word is being fulfilled, how he, as a true father, adopts the forsaken orphans as his own children, and how he provides for them when, when his time and hour have come. 
so they're gonna get married <laughs> yes they are so what they the idea they marry right they marry on september 20th 1841 in perry county at the log cabin and the feast was splendid <sighs> and then they moved to st louis because walther's a pastor at trinity to Emily's mother's house that's across Lombard Street from Trinity Lutheran's original building, Dry Einigkeitskirch, <laughs> where CFW Walther was pastor. Pastor Walther and Emily lived on the first floor of the house and the rest of the family lived upstairs. So having their own church building was a really big deal. When the German immigrants were first in St. Louis, they were worshiping in the basement of Christ Episcopal Church. And as you can imagine, they needed their own space. Not a great deal to having to be working around another church's time. You know who else needed his own space? Walther, who got married and moved in with his mother-in-law. Just <laughs> pause and, and point that out. I mean, obviously, yep. <laughs> the, the Lord was working sanctification in his life from throughout it, especially then. Quite honestly, I'm not sure how much he was even home. I'll get to this in a little bit, but the guy was busy. I mean... No, really? It is nuts. But I'm getting to that. I'm, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so they finally consecrated their new church building on Lombard Street on December 4th, 1842. And to celebrate the occasion even more, CFW and Emily Walther brought their newborn baby girl, Christiana Magdalena, which is a beautiful name, by the way, mm. who was born on November 22nd to be baptized. There was another baptism and two weddings on the same day. Does that ever happen in the church? Like, that's crazy. So much happening. Walther was a busy man, and Emily was there to care for their children and for him and all of those things. So during 1842, there were 49 baptisms and 19 weddings. That's a lot of baptisms and a lot of weddings. In 1843, there were 75 baptisms and 27 marriages. So there was a hugely growing church at this point and they were busy doing all of these baptisms and all of these weddings hopefully the weddings came before the baptisms yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> so this church trinity is now trinity soulard if you're familiar with st louis you probably know that church super old really beautiful also soulard is amazing neighborhood i love yeah. it love it there's a whole lot of history you can dig into the building built in 1842 was destroyed by the great cyclone which was a hugely destructive tornado in st louis city and east st louis and rebuilt again in 1896 and that's the building that we know today so if you go visit that's the the rebuilt newer building mm -hmm. because the tornado destroyed the other one Wow. They began a publishing house and Der Lutheraner mag uh, newspaper, which maybe you're familiar with. And Lutherans across the Midwest were brought together to form the Joint Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states with Walther as president in 1848. I'll get to more of that in a minute, though. So Emily gave birth to Herman Christoph in 1844, and then she gave birth to twins, Constantine and Ferdinand Gerhard on February 23rd, 1847. So they had what? Four kids Ferdinand. at this point. When the twins were only was around a fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's evidence of that. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. How convenient. <laughs> 
When these twins were only nine months old, CFW went to Chicago for the final organizational meeting of the new synod, the German Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. And then he came home with the title of president for the new synod. Yay! And there was much. They met in Illinois to set Uh up a synod that didn't even mention Illinois. Correct. Yep. So Michigan, Wisconsin. Sorry, you're out of luck. You are und anderen Städten, Staaten, whatever, you're et cetera. Mm-hmm. And other states. Yes, yes, exactly. Very tragically, little three-year-old Herman died in July 1848. Aww. According to the church records at Old Trinity, he died from an accidental fall in the cellar causing a blow to the head, Aww. which sounds horrendous. So... A year of joy and also big tragedy for the family. Unfortunately, the sad times don't end there. This is where it gets a little depressing in the story. The summer of 1849 ushered in the cholera epidemic, which we're familiar with uh, epidemics and pandemics in these days. Uh, It took a huge toll on St. Louis and the congregation at Trinity Lutheran. Thousands of people died in St. Louis, probably about one out of every 11. Wow. And so Christiana Mama Bunger died during the cholera epidemic in July 1849 and was buried near Holy Cross Lutheran, which is another one of the really old Lutheran churches. And that one's by Concordia Publishing House in this like little area that has all of these old Lutheran historical Mm -hmm. sites. There's a walking tour you can do down there, actually. Anyway, but the cemetery was moved. And I'm curious now how you actually move a cemetery. That must be a lot of work. And her grave is now unknown. In one month, in July 1849, there were 49 deaths in Walther's congregation. Can you imagine that? That is a lot of burials and a lot of grieving families. No wonder he suffered from depression. Right? That is rough. Really? That's a lot to go through on top of everything else. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that congregations were fairly large at this point, considering how many baptisms and weddings they had, but that is still a lot of people. In one month. Yeah, yeah that's, bury in that's one month. terrible. This was yeah. a terrible, terrible epidemic. Perspective, for sure, for us. Yeah, know. that puts our current situation in a, in a bit of a perspective. We aren't hopefully losing 49 people out of our congregations in a month. That's crazy there were also seven baptisms and three marriages during this month too Mm. so the church keeps going there is still grace in the midst of tragedy emily would have been grieving the loss of her own mother during this time as well as caring for her husband who was serving a deeply grieving congregation and on top of all of this but wait there's more on july 27 1849 Emily gave birth to a baby girl, Emma Julie. So during this pandemic, she is super duper pregnant. So Walther has a really pregnant wife that he has to worry about as well (laughs) during this cholera epidemic. And she then has this baby and also grieving the loss of her loss of her mom, who would have been most helpful during this time, of course. On the day that Emma Julie was born, Pastor Walther had two burials to officiate so he probably wasn't around much for that on the bright side emily's brother ernst was a doctor 
in St. Louis. And so he would have been helpful to her and probably to the church and also to uh, their, their area as well during this epidemic to give some medical knowledge. And Julie, which is, this is, this is the happy part of this part of the story. Julie grows up to marry another influential Lutheran pastor, the Reverend John Neiman, who would become the president of the central district of the LCMS in 1880 and serve in that role until his death in 1910. And Julie passed away in 1898 at the age of 49. She was one of the children that actually survived the pandemic, though. There were the, yeah. the epidemic, the cholera epidemic took a lot of children, a lot of very young children. So being born during that pandemic uh-huh. epidemic would have right. been, it was a, a very cholera good thing. is nasty. I yeah, just, it's not good. Like, you don't want it. I, the, my guts wrenched when I thought of uh, poor Emily being pregnant while cholera is going around that in the middle of in the middle of summer in st louis Uh, on top of that (laughs) that's not fun anyway no (laughs) so for a bit of a lutheran history trivia from this time concordia seminary was moved from altenburg to st louis near the end of 1849 and a new building was built in 1850 to house the seminary. So Walther moved his family into this building along with his students. In the 1850 census, Walther, his children, and 15 seminary students are listed as living in the same house. So Rachel, you mentioned that uh, he might have needed his own space. He never got his own space. He moved into the <laughs> seminary building wow. with 15 students. Awkward. <laughs> and his kids. <laughs> oh, man. Emily, my heart goes out to you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) For for a a bit of a side note, St. Louis history as well, the cholera epidemic caused the the blossoming St. Louis city to actually build a proper sewer system because at that point in time, they didn't have proper sewer systems, which was probably part of the problem, Mm. uh, to deal with its wastewater. And the city bought quote-unquote rural land to outside the city to build cemeteries to keep with up with all the burials. These cemeteries, Bell Fountain and Calvary, definitely are not rural anymore. They're in the middle of the city. But back then, it was a hike to get out to these places uh-huh. in the middle of nothing. Wow. Uh, the Lutheran Church established Concordia Cemetery. Of course, it's Concordia Cemetery. And it was primarily used by Old Trinity and Holy Cross Lutheran churches. And that is where CFW Walther is buried. Now that I know that, I want to go tour that cemetery, which for a long time I thought that touring a cemetery was a little weird, but there is so much history you can learn looking at people's gravestones and who's buried where and history of people and all of that. Anyway, that's just a little tidbit of Lutheran history. It's still a little weird, but but here you go. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) And in fact, Bell Fountain is kind of touted as like a museum historical like they do non-profit they're like a non-profit I yeah think. they are yeah because yeah. there's i mean it, there's a lot of famous people that were buried in st louis and you can learn so much about them by touring their gravestones <laughs> if that doesn't weird you out at all which i think it would i be love cool. going for walks in cemeteries i think it's peaceful and really it's quiet and nobody tries to disturb you, and it's usually nicely mown, like the grass is cared yeah. for, and it's a great experience. I like I like wandering through uh, Jefferson Barracks. It's kind of fun. Anyway, this is a tangent. <laughs> I'm almost done. Okay. okay. 
So in the end, we fast forward. Emily and CFW Walther had six children, four of whom lived to adulthood, which is still, it was a big deal back then if, you're, if your kids lived past their young ages. Christiana Magdalena lived 1842 to 1936. Constantine lived 1847 to 1905. Ferdinand Gerhardt lived 1847 to 1933. And Julie lived 1848 to 1898. They did have a, a, apparently they had a sixth child, but I couldn't find any records or stories about him in any of my research. I may have just missed it. So there's that as well. Can we name him now? Like, let's give him a name. (laughs) Bob. Pop. That Good. is not a German name. No. <laughs> I don't know. You can do better. Braunschweiger. There you go. <laughs> oh, Braunschweiger. I'm so hungry. Braunschweiger Walter. Yes. <laughs> it actually rolls off the tongue. It, it does. does. It does. Okay, carry on. <laughs> so Emily, Emily died August 23rd, 1885. And that's about all I could find about her death. I might have also missed something. But again, hard to find stuff about people in church records. How old would she have been? 73. So yeah. Yeah. How old was she when she married Walther? She was not a, you know, blushing she was not. She was not young. And in her in, in her acceptance letter back to him, she said, I was afraid I would never marry because I was getting up there in years. And I hope I can be a good wife to you because I'm older and I never you know all of that stuff because yeah she was not because she was was 26 when she came to the when she came to America correct she married him in 1841 okay so So 31 no 41 29 29 29 which nowadays is normal but yeah not back then she was a good long life Wow. She did. She did. And speaking of good long lives and family legacies. So the Bunger family has a long legacy of influence in LCMS history. So, of course, Emily married CFW Walther, who is first president of the Synod. Her brother, the Reverend Johann Friedrich Bunger, was pastor at Trinity and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches in St. Louis. He was also the founder of the Lutheran Hospital which is part of that enclave uh, near Holy Cross and Concordia Publishing House and Lutheran Orphanage in the St. Louis area. He was also a builder and teacher in the Log Cabin College and was involved in organizational meetings for the Synod. Her sister, Agnes, married the Reverend Otto Hermann Walther and then after his death married the Reverend Ottomar Furbinger, which we talked about, who is involved in the Synod's formation also. Her brother, Theodore Ernst, was a teacher in several early Lutheran schools in Chicago. He married Martha Lerber, who was the daughter of the first pastor of Trinity Lutheran in Altenburg. Her sister, Lydia, married the Reverend Friedrich Lochner, who was another prominent figure in early LCMS history. And then the, quite a few other Lutheran pastors and teachers came out of other families, other lines in the family. So there's a long, long legacy of Lutheranism in this family that I'm sure you can still find plenty of people today who are in this line. So that is where my notes end. That wasn't an hour and a half. No. no. And it was, so good. it was full of romance and tension <laughs> and... Yeah. Sorrow and joy. It was great. 
<laughs> this is the best of times and the worst. <laughs> I have like eight movie ideas. Uh-huh. Right. The mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan, probably. <laughs> well, at least one of them's a Lifetime original. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That fit well. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Lifetime, the Lutheran edition. I don't know how Emma, well that would go. There's got to be at least one Hallmark one in there. I <laughs> That's the CFW yeah. author M. The love letter. Uh huh. The marriage. <laughs> the proposal. Yes. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. go read those letters. They are fantastic. You can find that book on Amazon. Uh, Mama Bunger, the mother of a synod. Really, really interesting stuff. A lot more historical detail that I could not give you because then I'd have to give you 10 more tangents of history just to understand what was going on. So this was like the very much Cliff Notes version of the beginning of the LCMS Synod. There is so much more history that I really encourage everyone to dig into because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in our Lutheran legacy that would be good for us to know and understand where we came from and, and why we are where we are now in the Synod. Things make a lot more sense when you understand the history and a lot of what Walther wrote too. For sure. I mean, you may wonder why we, unlike some other Lutherans, don't have bishops. Well, we sent him across the river in a rowboat um, <laughs> and thought we'd maybe try something different. I mean, it's all of this history is still being played out in the decisions that our church has made down through the years. There's a reason for all of it. Yep. And the English district does have bishops, but the English district was a different thing. And there's history they there, too, about why why the English yeah. district and the SCLC are non-geographic districts. There's so much. Time. Yeah. So many more tangents. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I am very thankful for these immigrants and their desire for pure doctrine and their, can I say, chutzpah <laughs> to, to travel across <laughs> The ocean. This, I don't they know. They had moxie. They had moxie. They uh, had guts to uh-huh. leave their homeland and go to a totally new land and settle here and start this church body that now we're a part of, which is just, I'm very thankful for them and for God's uh, provision for them because their life was not easy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So as I said, you can find more about this. I'm sure lcms.org has resources. The Concordia Historical Institute has so many resources if you want to dig in more to this. Lutheranmuseum.org has a lot more on this specific story, the blog there, and also Warren Schmidt's book, Mama Bunger, Mother of a Synod, you can find on Amazon. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You can also join our community on Facebook because we love to talk to like-minded women and Lutheran ladies and have fun and share recipes and all of those good things in our group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You are listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Braunschweiger. (laughs) (laughs) And I really enjoyed that story time. Thank you, Sarah. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.